0: Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a Couple of Gents. Making money moves with the finest of gents. Come and pull up a seat because we're proud to present how to make some good decisions when you're on the fence.
1: Robert and Steve going to tell you how
0: to do it the best. Hello, welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a Couple of Gents. My name is Steven Ellis. And I am Robert Wolfson.
2: And of course, we are the gents. I am more gentlemanly, as we discovered last episode. But yes, collectively, we are the gents. Yeah, Rob, I actually didn't want to tell you we
0: had a lot of feedback on that and most people said that they thought that was untrue. I just
2: Well, we'll have to think of some sort of contest going forward. Maybe a survey of some sort a survey. to determine that.
0: Yeah. So, Rob, really exciting episode today. We've got our second guest speaker.
2: Yeah, we have Greg Valier joining us. He's the chief U.S. policy strategist with AGF Investments. He lives and he's based right in Washington. He brings over three decades of experience covering politics and all the issues around the Federal Reserve, uh, all the policies, the strategies, and of course with the U.S. election less than a month away, uh, he's going to talk to us about all everything that's happening there. And of course, there's lots happening in the U.S. right now.
0: Yeah, we actually follow Greg's commentary quite regularly. We're on conference
2: calls with Greg. We read his daily blog. Yeah, every morning, first thing that pops into our inbox, he's up at about four in the morning recording it and uh, writing it and then putting it out to us. So every day we get an update of what's happening uh, direct from Washington itself.
0: Yeah, And I can't say until recently we were as interested, you know, obviously U.S. politics have really come into focus. And so it's something that we wanted to make sure we, we had some discussion about and brought to the listeners ahead of the
2: U.S. election here in about three weeks. Yeah, and of course, we always pay attention to it casually, but I think ever since Trump's been elected, it seems like every day there's something else happening that you need to see what's happening and the effects on not only within the White House, but of course on the markets as well.
0: So without further ado, let's welcome Greg to the podcast. Welcome, Greg.
1: Happy to be with you. Wish we could all be together in person, maybe next year with uh, an adult beverage. We can uh, we can <laughs> meet face-to-face. Yeah, I, I'd say the last couple of months, or actually the entire year, have, it's just been extraordinary, unprecedented. You know, for me as a Washington analyst, uh, I have to think in two terms. One is all the political noise, and there's going to be more. We'll talk about the election, I'm sure, in a few minutes. But then secondly, I think about what all of this means for investors. And while there are some concerns about higher taxes and maybe some sectors not doing well, I think the dominant story for us in our industry is Jerome Powell, the the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He will do anything. He's made it clear to make sure the economy stays in good shape, to make sure the markets stay in good shape. And I think this uh, explicit promise from Powell to keep rates close to zero uh, and to tolerate somewhat higher inflation is a major reason why the markets have done well, despite all of the incredible background noise we've got right now coming out of Washington. Do you see uh, Powell going to negative rates at all, Greg? No, I don't. I, there's there's two things, I think, Steve, that the, the, the Fed will uh, avoid. Uh, one is negative rates. I think they feel that it hasn't worked in Europe, uh, that it sends a really bad message to savers, uh, it just sends a bad message in general. Uh, and the other thing I, I'm convinced they won't consider would be buying equities. If the stock market should suddenly slump, I, I don't think that would be a, an option for the Fed. They view that as a conflict of interest, with in effect the government owning stock in companies that the government regulates. And I think they wouldn't want to go there. But otherwise, I think everything's on the table in terms of the Fed lending to businesses, state and local governments keeping rates really low. I think the funds rate will stay at zero for maybe another three years. So this is a very activist and very accommodative Fed, and I think that they have really made a huge difference uh, over the last few months.
2: Now it seemed early on uh, in the term, Trump and Powell seemed to be quite at odds, and there's lots of chatter mm-hmm. about Trump potentially even, you know, trying to eliminate him from the position. Is that relationship smoothed out? Do you think if Trump happens to win, do you think there's going to be more chatter about that, or is Trump quite happy now with how Powell's handled the situation?
1: I, my, good question. You know, my sense is that they get along better now. There's a report out that a friend of mine at the Fed uh, it believes it's true that uh, Trump called Powell. Uh, in the summer and congratulated him said you're doing a great job the fed has done just what we we had to be doing so to me it would be reckless for trump to replace him uh if biden wins i i I think that he obviously would keep powell as well so i'd say it would be a real shock if uh if powell were to depart i think he's uh he's viewed as one of the real heroes you know, the real heroes have been the doctors and the nurses and people who have saved other people's lives at, at their own peril. But the hero in terms of policy making here in the U.S. unquestionably is
2: Jerome Powell. Now, the other side of the stimulus talk is everything that's happening with the potential new stimulus package. Where do you see that currently sitting and what do you expect to happen from that perspective?
1: Well, f- first of all, I would make a case that we need another stimulus bill. I mean, the anecdotal evidence is starting to pile up that people are increasingly worried about more layoffs, more evictions, more bankruptcies. Small businesses are not doing well. Uh, And it's not just anecdotal. I think the statistics lately have shown the economy might be leveling off. We're not in recession, but the economy has lost a lot of steam in my opinion so there's great pressure on Nancy Pelosi to cut a deal you know she initially said she wanted an extra 3.5 trillion and that bill that she passed in may had all sorts of junk in it like aid to marijuana growers and things that were not really relevant to covid-19 so she's backed down she's down to a, a mere 2.2 trillion and the white house has come up and my sense is that uh, since president trump has to know that he's trailing in the election. I think he wants, a, he wants a big stimulus bill. I think he would view it as a plus for the markets, uh, long-term, a plus for the economy, and he needs this uh, right now. So my hunch is when he gets out of the hospital, uh, he will put tremendous pressure on Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, to go to Pelosi with a more generous deal. You know Whether Pelosi takes it, well, that's a big question. I, a lot of us who have followed her feel that she doesn't want to do Trump any favors and would prefer to wait until a potential Biden victory and then get a stimulus bill then. But I, my bottom line is we are going to get another stimulus bill, probably 1.7 or so trillion. Uh, but I can't tell you when. Uh, it could be In the next week or 10 days, it could be after the election. I hate hate to be vague, because I usually like to be precise, but I do think there will be another stimulus bill. It may come, however, later rather than sooner.
0: Yeah. And in your defense, Greg, it's difficult to be precise uh, in these times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'd say. Yeah. Good segue maybe to, to a discussion about the U.S. deficit. We get a lot of questions on that. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm actually I wouldn't say I'm sanguine, but I don't lose sleep over it. At least at least not right now. So just to look at the numbers in the year that just ended like 5 days ago, the deficit will officially come in I would guess around 3 trillion. In the new year that just began on October 1, I think the deficit will be at least 2 trillion and by the middle of this decade you know, I think the deficit's going to exceed $30 trillion. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And at some point, we may have to worry about debt servicing costs. But that time is not now. Uh, the Treasury Department announced uh, three or four weeks ago that net debt servicing costs have, have gone down because interest rates are so low. So if you're going to run a deficit, this is the time to do it uh, with rates at rock bottom. Uh, I think we can get away with it for another two or three years because, as I said, we have a Fed chairman who will keep rates astonishingly low. But at some point later in the decade, I think we're going to have to look at a a bill to pay. And I think that we may have to tighten our belts and look at some real spending cuts and maybe defense gets a haircut. Uh, I think we're going to have to look at maybe some higher taxes. Uh, But ironically, both Trump Trump, and Biden are not looking at tax tax policy to reduce the deficit. Uh, Trump wants, if he wins the second term, he wants to uh, extend his tax cuts of three years ago uh, and make them permanent. Right now, many of them expire at the middle of this decade. And then for Biden, yeah, he, he will raise taxes, but not to reduce the deficit. He'd rather take the money and pay for new stuff. So I don't see any big tax... Component of reducing the deficit. So then, finally, last resort, you know, you look at entitlements, Social Security, Medicare. But any politician who talks about reforms in that area gets demagogued. Uh, that's that's not a popular position. So I, I think the deficit will continue to rise, and we all better pray that rates stay low and maybe the economy picks up and we can, and stronger growth could help a bit. But uh, this is a story that I worry in three, four, five years could end, end poorly.
0: We wanna talk a bit about the election. Obviously sure. that's uh, in focus uh, more recently and we saw the debate last week and I don't know if that cleared much up for for any of us, but maybe your thoughts on uh, where we're at, what the polling numbers look like and then maybe we can talk a little bit about what it looks like depending on on which candidate wins the presidency.
1: Sure, gladly. Well, first of all, I would say if the election were held tomorrow, Biden would win, and he might win comfortably. Uh, But it's not being held tomorrow. It's being held on November 3rd, and there's still time for Trump to come back. Let's say he gets out of the hospital, and he looks uh, aggressive and healthy and gets some sympathy. That might help him a bit. It's worth noting that that horrible scandal four years ago when he said these very obscene things on uh, Access Hollywood, that was on October 7th of 2016, and Trump then looked like he was trailing badly, but he came back and won. So it's not too late for him to come back. That said, I think the debate was a disaster for him. He came across as rude and arrogant, very, very unlikable refused to condemn uh, white, white supremacists. And the polls show that the country overwhelmingly feels he has not done a good job on the virus. Initially, he was dismissive. Then he was very, very inconsistent. You know, Do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? Uh, he constantly boasted that he had done a tremendous job on the virus, even though we've lost over 200,000 people. Uh, in casualties and a lot of Americans felt he wasn't very didn't show a lot of empathy so his numbers are awful on handling the virus his numbers are pretty good on the economy I I would say that Biden's strong point is the Supreme Court and the reason I say that is there are two enormous issues that affect the most important constituency in this election. That's, that's women. Women voters feel very strongly that the court could kill Obamacare, which a lot of women feel is crucial because they worry about pre-existing conditions. Will they be covered? And secondly, a woman's right to choose. Uh, abortion is still a very emotional issue in my country, and I think the new justice, uh, and I do think she'll get approved, uh, it feels very strongly against abortion, against Roe versus Wade. Uh, so women, I think, will overwhelmingly go uh, for Biden. Uh, I would say in looking at the key states, I won't go through them all, but the five states in this electoral college, this bizarre way we have of electing our presidents, the, the five states are Florida, Arizona, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and uh, Pennsylvania. And in those all five of those states, Biden either has a slight lead or a modest the moderate lead. And he only needs to win probably three of those five, And I think he'd be in pretty good shape. And to my shock, Biden is leading in ohio. i hadn't I hadn't seen that one coming. So I think Biden's in pretty good shape on the electoral college. i I, I am inherently suspicious of the polls maybe you're going to ask me about that but i'll let me just say now that you know the, the polls have methodology problems maybe they can get the right mix of young old black white rich poor but they can't nail turnout and turnout is an issue the poll takers grapple with and they often get it wrong so i don't look at any one poll what i look at and i say this in all of my talks I look at a wonderful website called RealClearPolitics.com. Again, it's RealClearPolitics.com, all one word. And in the upper right-hand corner, every morning, they have an amalgamation of every poll out there, and they come up with an average. Even that I'm not certain I believe in, but I believe in the trends. And the trends over the last week or so are clearly toward Biden after the debate. Uh, Biden, I think, has a, an aggregate lead of about seven points. They also run a poll on the, the Las Vegas betting odds, and they're pretty clever out in Vegas. They they follow this carefully, and the betting odds have moved dramatically. Talk about a trend shift. The betting odds have moved from a narrow bet that Biden would win. Now they're over 60% that Biden would win, and I, I have to take that fairly seriously as well. So, uh, long answer, but it's still not too late for Trump to come back. I think what he needs to do is hammer away at the Biden agenda, which has moved to the left on taxes, a staggering amount of new taxes. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. And I think the Biden agenda is not mainstream. That, in my opinion, is where Trump should aim his fire in the next three or four weeks. Yeah, I mean, I got
0: the sense that he missed the mark in the debate in terms of doing that. That was sort of my expectation going in. Is is that mm-hmm. he he would do that, and obviously, as as most
1: of us saw, he did not. He 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 didn't. And I know he was advised to do it. I mean, you you look at the taxes that Biden has. It's he's got higher individual rates, higher corporate rates, a new corporate minimum tax, higher estate taxes higher capital gains taxes, a Wall Street transaction tax. It goes on and on and on. And as so I point out, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't think I've ever heard a successful politician say, vote for me, I'm going to raise your taxes.
0: Yeah, exactly. That usually
1: doesn't work very well. And that's, that's where, if I'm Trump, that's where I'd go after Biden.
0: Yeah. And he seems, I mean, even just recently, he was talking about Second Amendment again. He still doesn't seem to be hitting that mark.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, the thing is, Trump can talk about the Second Amendment and guns and all sorts of issues, uh, police power, uh, urban crime, but that all goes to his base, which he's locked up. Trump famously said a few years ago, I can walk up Fifth Avenue shooting people and my base would not abandon me. That's not what he needs. He needs the center. He needs the, the, the swing voters. I mean, Biden has the left. He has all the liberals. Trump has the conservatives. So the battle, as usual, comes down to the, the center. And what the center saw in the debate the other night did not impress them.
0: No, and I guess the other question, to, to remain as neutral as possible, is how unimpressive was Biden at the same time?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I, I gave Biden like a C or a C minus. I mean, that's Joe. I mean, I, I've known Biden for 40 years, and He's lost a mile or two off of his fastball, I think you have to agree. I don't think he's you know in full fledged dementia or anything like that he he's He's quick enough, but he does look frail. He seemed to get a little tired toward the end of the debate um, that, that that's That's a flaw of his i mean that's a a weakness he you know his acceptance speech at the Democrats convention was pretty darn good, but he was reading off a teleprompter. I I thought he was okay in the debate, but he does have a propensity for making gaffes. And I I thought this would be a chance for Trump to get right back in the race. And Trump, as he often is, turned out to be his own worst enemy. He couldn't stop himself. He was so rude and arrogant and bombastic. He was a turnoff to an awful lot of viewers.
0: Yeah, Considering what you just said about Biden's health and obviously... In light of what we've seen this weekend and and Trump's age and and uh, uh, I guess we speculate about it to a certain degree, but his overall health. How important are the vice presidential nominees in this in this election?
1: They're huge, and as as you know, we have an, we have the one uh, vice presidential debate is Wednesday night, and I think that you know Kamala Harris is. Very articulate, and she's a good debater. She was a district attorney in San Francisco. She was then uh, attorney general in California. She's argued a lot of cases before courts. Uh, I think she'll probably do a good job. But Mike Pence has, has got plenty of experience. He was a governor of Indiana. He was a member of the U.S. House. He's been vice president for four years. I think Pence on the issues... Will be quite good. This debate, the vice presidential debate, frequently is more substantive than the presidential debates, which tend to get down into personal, you know, invective. So I think it'll be an interesting uh, debate to watch. Uh, But it's important for because both of them are running with people uh, who have health issues.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Kamala Harris considered more uh,
1: leftist than than uh, Biden would be? You know, she's sort of a Rorschach test. She's everybody sees in her what they want to see. Okay. The progressives on the left think she's too conservative. The conservatives all say she's too progressive. Uh, I mean, so anybody from California is going to be, you know, to the left. I, I view her as a typical center-left Democrat like Barack Obama. Um, and he's certainly not at the level of Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. I mean, they are well to the left. I, I wouldn't put her there. Uh, she uh, agreed when she signed up with Biden not to press for a ban on fracking. Uh, she agreed uh, not to press for Medicare for all, which is, would be hugely expensive. So she's moderated her views, I think, to uh, accommodate uh, Biden. But if anything should happen to Biden and she became president, you would have to argue she would be one of the most liberal presidents in the history of America.
2: Right. So one thing that happened at the end of the debate uh, is the question about will you leave peacefully if the other candidate wins? Um, how do you see that playing out? Great. We've talked to our clients a lot about a contested election, the risk that may take yep. weeks to find out who actually wins. And of course, the market doesn't like uncertainty. How do you, how do you see that playing out?
1: Well, two or two, three points I'd make. First of all, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would have to answer a question, you know, what if Trump refused to leave? You know, the answer is clear. I mean, the generals at the Pentagon despise him. They would gladly remove him physically. On January 20th at noon, the Constitution is explicit that on January 20th at noon, we inaugurate a new president. So what could go wrong? Two things. Number one, I think there's an increasingly good chance that we will not know the winner on election night on November 3rd. Many states have said they can't possibly count all of these ballots, and there's going to be a tidal wave of uh, absentee ballots, mail-in ballots. It could take days and days or maybe even a couple of weeks before all the votes are counted. I would cite as an example this summer in New York State uh, all the primary races. It took them six weeks to decide in New York. I'm not predicting that nationally in the U.S., but it could take a while. The second scenario is even more ominous, and that is, what if Trump narrowly loses? Let's say he loses Pennsylvania by half a point, loses Arizona by half a point, and then loses in the Electoral College. He has made it clear he would challenge that he would say it was a fraud, that the mail-in ballots were rigged against him, and knowing how litigious this guy is, He could go to his attorney general and say, look, I want you to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. And it's worth noting, we've seen this movie before in the year 2000, and it took the Supreme Court until December 12th to rule that George W. Bush actually did beat Al Gore. So we could have something similar. And You want to talk about uncertainty. To not know for several weeks who won, I think that would be a very uh, troubling development. The silver lining... Is this if Biden does win fairly comfortably and he's leading by quite a bit now, that would greatly diminish the chances of a disputed election. I think Trump could not contest an election that it, if it appears that he's lost convincingly.
2: Yeah, what is that percentage that would be convincingly?
1: Oh, if if it looks like he, Trump lost by five, six, seven points in the national numbers, but also lost badly in the Electoral College, you need 270 votes. You know, if if Biden, if it looks like Biden's going to have 330, 340, I think a challenge by Trump would be futile.
2: Right. And of course, we always focus on the presidential election, but I think the other important election going on right now as well, Greg, which you can bring us up to speed, sometimes Canadians don't quite always understand all of the depth of the U.S. political system, but of course, the Senate race and the implications and the filibuster rule, I think those two are related. Absolutely. I'm glad you raised it. So let me just briefly say that there's two other elections,
1: one for the House, not in contest. The Democrats will keep the House. The really fascinating other election is in the Senate, uh, which is narrowly Republican. The Senate is a big story for investors because the Senate has been the firewall against activist legislation, the very liberal legislation coming over from the House. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans have a 53-47 majority i've looked at all the key races it sure looks to me like the republicans are going to lose four seats the democrats may only lose one for a net gain for the democrats of three which means a tie it would be fifty fifty if you had that kind of a swing uh, the democrats theoretically if they won the white house would uh... would break all ties and control the senate this is a big deal for investors because the markets i'm convinced prefer divided government. Uh, As I have a dear friend on Wall Street who always tells me every two years, Greg, divided government is good because it means they do less harm. And I think there's some truth to that. So I I would argue that uh, divided government is what the the markets will look for. And if it's a blue wave, meaning the Democrats take everything, I think that's not a good story for fossil fuels, for the financial services sector for health care, for defense stocks, I I think there would be some negative stories in addition to the threat of higher taxes. And the filibuster rule, Greg? Oh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of frustration on the part of Democrats that because of the filibuster rule, they couldn't get a lot done with Obama, who is now saying, I I favor uh, ending the filibuster rule. So what it means is that right now you need 60 votes to cut off debate, a filibuster. Uh, You can't get 60 votes for anything right now. Congress is so divided. So if the Democrats took the Senate in three weeks, could they decide to kill this rule and allow anything to pass with a simple majority, probably 50 or 51 votes? If they did that, all this legislation would sail through the Senate. I think the markets would be very nervous to see that kind of a climate uh, I, there may be a handful of Democrats who would have second thoughts about a change of this magnitude, because at some point it could come back and bite them, as, as the, the judgeships have bitten them in the last few years. But it is a big deal, and if Biden Im- decides to embrace it, I, I think the markets, again, would be nervous about how quickly things could pass that the markets wouldn't like.
0: So greg, we uh, I mean, we know what we get with Trump, I think, to a great extent. now, if Biden does win the presidency, uh, maybe we can talk a bit about some of the things we might see with a with a Biden presidency. You've alluded to a few things. I'm wondering who you might see in uh, cabinet roles and the impact that that might have.
1: You bet, so th- there are some things I have to be fair. There are some things that I think would be positive. I think that. Biden would be more inclined to to favor uh, free trade. I think this reliance by Trump on tariffs, everywhere you look, he wants to slap a tariff on whether it's you guys in Canada or Western Europe or wherever. I think Biden would shy away from that. He might even rejoin the Trans Pacific Partnership. I think Biden would be a great story for alternative energy. I think that he would be more predictable, more stable. I think we wouldn't get blindsided as we frequently do uh, with Trump. So there would be some positives, but I would just point out that he made a deal at the beginning of the summer with the Democrats left with Bernie Sanders and with Elizabeth Warren to embrace not all, but much of their agenda. And many people feel, and I'm one of them, that Elizabeth Warren's great goal in life is to be treasury secretary. Uh, That would be, a, a disastrous story for the financial markets, which fear her. You know, she seems to feel that our industry is corrupt and greedy and you know, needs dramatic reform. I think the silver lining here is that if the Senate looks like it's about tide, would they want to take her out of Massachusetts, where she's a senator, and bring her to the Treasury Department? Because if that happened, the governor of Massachusetts, who is a Republican, would replace her with a Republican, and I think that's something the Democrats wouldn't want to see. And I also think that Biden would get a phone call from a lot of his friends on Wall Street, and he has good contacts on Wall Street. People would try to dissuade him from uh, appointing Elizabeth Warren as Treasury Secretary. But there will be some activists. I mean, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Amy Klobuchar, there'll be a lot of interesting names, who would be more colorful, literally more people of color, would be in this cabinet, a new cabinet, than you have with the, uh, with the current Trump cabinet. So there, there would be changes, and it might take the markets a while to get used to these. One final point I'd make on Biden and the markets, if he wins, and we still haven't gotten the stimulus bill, there will be a significant stimulus bill right away next year, and I think that would be favorably uh, received by the markets.
0: So, Greg, sticking with with Biden here, uh, we in Alberta know that Biden has promised to cancel Keystone XL if elected. Perhaps you can comment on uh, how the U.S. election results could impact Canada's energy industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can't see Biden backing away from that. I mean, he's made a lot of promises to the activists in his party, and I would just make this overall point, and that is, I think, one of the greatest challenges that Biden will face if he wins is the tremendous pressure he'll get from the left. Uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a, a growing power within the party. I think she wants to challenge Chuck Schumer for Schumer's Senate seat in New York. So there will be tremendous uh, pressure from the left. So if he tries to back away on, on Keystone, I think the left will, will really let him have it. So I think that might preclude him from changing his position on Keystone.
2: You previously mentioned the the trade rhetoric with Trump before, with Canada, of course, USMCA, uh, the tariffs mm-hmm. with Europe. But what about China? How would you see? Obviously, before COVID, everything was uh, the U.S. Uh, trade war with the Chinese. How do you see that playing out going forward on both sides?
1: Well, it's it's very icy right now. We're in a deep freeze, and I always point out to people that this antipathy toward china is not just on trump's part you know it's it's canada it's western europe it's australia and in in here in washington it's democrats there are a lot of democrats who agree with republicans that the chinese were not transparent as the disease unfolded that they uh, downplayed the severity the chinese have been hacking into all of our companies including companies that manufacture vaccines the Chinese have treated their dissidents horribly, as we know, whether it's Muslims in the western part of China or people in Hong Kong. So I think here in Washington, there's a feeling that maybe there should be legislation to reward U.S. companies that bring home jobs, that bring home Chinese you know, pharmaceutical jobs or manufacturing of medical equipment. And I think that Biden would have to go slow. I don't think Biden can just say, OK, we're going to kiss and make up. You know, we're going to go back to business as usual. I think that the Democrats on the left, Bernie Sanders, Chuck Schumer, people like that would uh, rebel if he tried to have normal relations with China. So I think this friction between the two countries may persist well past the election.
0: So, Greg, I have I have one more question. I guess it sort of came to light over the weekend and and maybe it's a bit of a controversial question. Uh, perhaps you you can't or don't want to answer. But I'm actually curious to know, uh, considering Trump's health situation, if Donald Trump were to pass away, what happens in terms of the election?
1: Well, a lot is is the timing, and I, I get this question. And the, the the quick answer is it's it's vague. Uh, our Constitution is vague on this. But if he were to pass before the election the Republicans would have to reconvene their convention and nominate someone. Uh, I feel quite strongly it would be Mike Pence and I think his logical running mate would be Nikki Haley, a very impressive, likable, bright woman who was governor of South Carolina and then was our United Nations ambassador. I think that would be a pretty good ticket, and I think Pence would pick her. If Trump were to pass away after the election, I still think that the the balance of power would shift to Pence. If there was no one uh, who made it through a court fight by January 20th, the Constitution is vague on this, but in, most people agree that it would go to Pence, and then it will, God forbid, what if something happened to Mike Pence? Then it, the, the Constitution says, believe it or not, it would be Nancy Pelosi. Uh, at noon on January 20th uh, who could become president. If she got it, it would be the president of the Senate, but we're going way out into like the, the solar system yeah. here. But but I, I do think the, the logical answer is that if something horrible would have happened to Trump, uh, Mike Pence is qualified and would be the likely, uh, the clear nominee. And if it's after the election, I think he would be uh, in line uh, for the presidency but if the election were won by Joe Biden it's Biden the, yeah, the tricky thing is if it's won by a Republican ticket yeah. let's hope we don't have to get to that
2: and, of course, Trump's been really insensitive towards the whole coronavirus, the pandemic. Of course, it's hard for him to be dismissive of it now and what happened over the course of the past week. But the other main issue dominating headlines, of course, the past number of months is racial injustices. You no, know, obviously, Trump can come out and condemn the white supremacists in the debate. Uh, how would you see Biden tackling that issue?
1: I think Biden has to certainly stay away from e- even being remotely in favor of defunding the police I think that's a terrible idea and I think most Democrats would agree I think Biden has to make it clear that in places like Portland Oregon I mean you have to have law and order uh, if you look at the number of murders over the every weekend in Chicago you look at the gun violence in the US I mean that's 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 an issue that Trump you would think could benefit from he might but I think an awful lot of Americans feel that Trump inflames this rather than calms it down. So it hasn't held Trump as much as one might think because he's such an inflammatory figure. Yeah, thank you, Greg. We've been
0: really fortunate to have uh, you on the podcast and bring your expertise to our listeners. We feel very honored that uh, you were able to spend some time with us today.
1: You gave me a really good workout. (laughs) I I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, maybe when the dust starts to settle during the winter or whenever we can do this again I'd, I'd love to join you guys again
2: yeah thank you again thank you so much we covered a lot of ground today so thank you so much for it's taking time out of your schedule
1: well you you owe me an adult beverage when we all get together in person next year
0: you're on thanks again greg
1: all right guys take so care well, of yourself stay healthy.
0: you as well yep.
2: so thanks again everyone for joining us for another episode hope uh, you enjoyed this one yeah obviously We've said it before, we'll say it again, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers. Go onto our website, ellisfinancialgroup.ca. You can get the episode there now as well under the podcast tab. That's right, we just added that one to make it a little bit more convenient for people if they want to go onto the
0: website. While you're there, have a look around, see if there's anything else that might be interesting. We've got some reports and some market updates that might be of interest to you as well. So as always, I am Stephen Ellis. And I am Robert Wolfson. And we are a couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.